welcome to the My Curious Colleague podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So if you like CPGs, like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take a listen. Well, my curious colleague, today's podcast is second in a series of interviews highlighting the that intersection of consumer relations function with other cross-functional partners within your organization. Today is about collaborating with your social media and digital partners. And my guest to help us chat about that is Dan Gingas, the experience maker. What I like about Dan is he has been, um, you know, a practitioner in corporate America for 20 years and has consistently focused on that sweet spot that all of us love, and that is delighting our customers. He has held leadership positions at three Fortune 300 companies, McDonald's, Discover, and Humana in various uh, functions customer experience, marketing, social media, and customer service. He is now an international keynote speaker and experienced consultant. Wait, there's more. Dan is also an author. His most recent book, which is actually coming out and getting published in September, and it's called The Experience Maker, aptly, How to Create Remarkable Experiences That Your Customers Can't Wait to Share. We'll talk a little bit more about the book uh, later in, in our conversation. Let's see what else. Um, he's also a regular contributor to Forbes. He is a podcaster for many years. And a uh, shout out to Philly. Dan earned a BA from the University of Pennsylvania, which is another thing that we like about him, and also received his MBA from the Kellogg School of Management. So hi, Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Well, hey, Denise. I, I thought we were going to go all the way back into like what my favorite toys were in second grade. I'm glad we didn't go that far back, but a great introduction and thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. There's so much. And, you know, I left out a lot of it. You know, I should remember the first time that we met or chatted. I can't remember it. It may have been I saw something on Twitter and uh, then we connected and, and chatted. And uh, so I don't really remember the exact situation, but I do remember, you know, my, my impression was uh, that as a practitioner, obviously you were very intelligent and knowledgeable about the CX space, very down to earth and, you know, kind of light way about you. Funny thing is, this is exactly the way I would describe this, uh, this new book of yours. I just finished it actually a couple of days ago, cram in for this podcast. The book is an easy read. It's impactful in its message and it reflects your tongue-in-cheek humor. So let's talk about that intersection between the two teams. Now I'm going to say customer service. I may say consumer relations. I kind of go back and forth, consumer care, but you know who we're talking about, that customer service team. Um, knowing what you know today, having been through all those organizations, um, how would you sort of set up the organizational chart with the social media community manager teams and the customer service teams? Would they be together? Would they be separated organizationally? Who would they report to? Like, what are your thoughts there? So let me first tell you where things started and then where I think they started to evolve and what the best practice is today. 
When social media came onto the scene, it was definitively a marketing channel like any other marketing channel. And so it was owned by the marketing team. But then marketing teams figured out really quickly that social media is not like any other marketing channel. And the one thing that makes it different is that people can talk back to you. Mm -hmm. And that was very, very new for marketers. Because if you think about every marketing channel in the history of marketing was a one-way broadcast channel. And now all of a sudden we have a channel that's two-way. And so customers, when given the voice, decided to use their voice a lot. And what marketers found was they seemed to be relatively equipped to do what they called community management, which was dealing with happy customers. But then as soon as people had complaints or problems, wow, we have no idea how to solve that. That's customer services issue. And so they would send those problems over to customer service. Right. Now, over time, what I've seen and what I think is the best practice is that you allow marketers to do what they do best, which is to create marketing. And then you allow customer service people to do what they do best, which is to talk to customers. And therefore, it's my recommendation that all customer feedback go through customer service, even if it's positive. And one of the things that is an interesting offshoot benefit of that is that if you talk to any customer service agent who's only worked on the phone in their career and you say, hey, how many times have you picked up the phone and the other person on the, uh, the other person on the other end of the line was just calling to tell you how great of a job you were doing? They'll all laugh at you because that's never happened. But now all of a sudden you have this channel where you have lots of positivity as well as complaints. You have lots of compliments, lots of I love you's, lots of, you know, this is a great, my, my new jeans look so great on me, whatever it is, you have all the positive stuff. And it's my belief that if we let agents handle those positive comments as well, it actually makes them better at handling the complaints. Because when you think about the job of a customer service agent, and we all know it's a job that has immense amount of turnover in that space. But think about it. They spend the whole day talking to angry people. And, and that has got to be difficult on almost anybody. So in social media, you have an advantage where you can have agents talking to happy people too. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes them better agents. I think it makes them better at handling the, the complaints as well, because it's not like every single time they pick up the phone, it's an angry person. So that's how I would organize it. I'd put the marketing under the marketing and everything else under service. Uh, no matter what that kind of feedback is, I do away with the term community management manager. I don't think that's necessary. I think that is a customer service role. You think My that's opinion. a customer service role? I think customer service should handle all engagements with customers. Right, right. And then the piece of community manager that I'm familiar with where they're pushing out content, you would move that under like marketing. That's a marketing role. Yeah, got it. Well, what do you think is the reason for... First of all, I agree with you that it would make their day so much better. I mean, the positive ones are are the more fun uh, responses or more fun posts to respond to, obviously, a little bit later. Now, I can't say I agree completely that every single call is an angry consumer just, just because. Well, what I mean by that, Denise, is that very few people call customer service unless yeah. they have a problem. They it's may not be angry. But they have an issue. That's why they're calling. They're not yeah. calling just to say, hey, I want to tell you you're doing an awesome job. Nobody takes the time to do that. 
interestingly, in social media, they do take the time to do it. And that's actually one of the main concepts of my new book is how do you get people to do that more often? How do you get more people saying nice things about us? Because when they do it in social, they're doing it in public. They're doing it so other people can hear and see. And that, marketers, is the holy grail of marketing. It's word of mouth. Yep. Agreed. Totally agree. So what do you think the barrier is? Because my experience has been that, you know, the community managers traditionally, my two organizations have handled the more, uh, you know, surprise and delight opportunities and, and the compliments. So what do you think the barrier is coming from any any industry, perhaps, to having organizations splitting that out where the positive ones are still being handled by say, community managers. What's that reason? Well, one of the barriers is it's hard to decide what's positive, what's negative, what's neutral. I mean, some of them are obvious, but not all of them are obvious. Or what if there's a comment that's both? You know, hey, I usually really love my jeans from XYZ, but this particular pair stinks. Well, okay, that was like a compliment and a complaint at the same time. So who does it go to? And uh, so I think that's where it gets confusing to me. Now, there are community management activities where, let's say, uh, the community management team or the marketing team, the whole idea of the campaign is to gather user-generated content. Okay? Okay. So, hey, everybody, show us your favorite picture of you in our jeans. Okay. That's a marketing campaign. That has nothing to do with customer service, right? So, I, I could see that living within marketing. I'm more talking about when you post something out on social media, you're going to get comments. And unfortunately, marketers, those comments are not always about what you posted, right? What happens is you interrupt people in their scroll and they say, oh, that company, I've been meaning to talk to them about something or another. And they and they do it right there because you're right in front of them. So you want to be talking about your newest pair of jeans. They want to talk about how the belt they bought last mm. year doesn't fit them anymore, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of change topic on you. And yeah. unfortunately, marketers weren't prepared for that. And they weren't prepared. They thought they owned the conversation. Mm. And then when they learned that the customer owns the conversation, they realized that that's such a broad scope of potential topics And the marketer, frankly, may know nothing about belts because that's a different department, right? They're in the jeans department. And so now I got a customer talking to me about belts and I don't know how to answer it. And so they they started deferring to customer service anyway, but Mm. there wasn't anything formal built up. And, And ultimately, it's why I think the easiest way to handle it is just to funnel everything to customer service. Because look, that's what they do all day. They talk to customers. They know how they answer questions. They answer complaints. And it's not so hard to answer compliments, right? That, that part of the job, as you noted, is pretty easy. So if that's all we have to teach them to do, that's a pretty easy thing to do. Versus the flip side, which is now I got to teach the marketers about customer service, about all the possible problems that customers might have. They don't have access to the customer accounts. They don't haven't been taught about empathy and you know problem solving and all this stuff. It's not what they do. So it is not as good of a fit. And so, you know, I get it. Marketers wanted to talk to the happy customers because it's fun. Yay, happy customers, right? But at the end of the day, it's just not what they're trained to do like a customer service person is. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to think as I think about my CPG 
colleagues and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe one, maybe one of the barriers today also could be very tactical where they have a knowledge base, the, the, the agents and, you know, a lot of that information is there to be leveraged and used in their own words. But so that's easier than a free form, you know, praise and you've got to really be in, in the brand voice and really, you know, sort of immerse yourself in the persona and make sure that comes out. So maybe it's a little bit of a challenge in terms of interpretation and writing skills, but that can be quickly solved with just, you know, same method, putting some KB uh, excuse me, knowledge-based information about how to handle praises and all these particular information. Okay. How about listening tools? So um, I know in your first book, you, you talk about some of the different listening tools that are out there. Um, has that changed? Like, and, I, and I'm talking about any of the tools that you might like, where either you're responding, a place where people can go and triage post and respond to them, or even to um, like a reporting blending of the social media feedback with, you know, more legacy channels? Yeah, I would say, so first of all, there's more tools than ever. And that is a great thing and a very complex thing, depending on which side of the table you're sitting on. Um, I don't generally play favorites publicly. And part of the reason is just, just to be frank, is I work with a lot of companies in a lot of different spaces. But I think that it, what I am seeing is uh, definitely Great tools out there for listen, uh, for getting feedback. Generally, uh, one that is a client of mine is actually called Get Feedback. They're uh, they're uh, part of the SurveyMonkey group of companies. Um, in terms of listening and sort of analyzing uh, social media data, there's a ton out there, and I think the key there is finding one that uh, is that can be customized to your business. So, for example, when I was leading social media at McDonald's. We had to look at lots of different languages. We had to look at the names of products. So, so maybe somebody doesn't mention McDonald's, but they mention McNuggets or they mention Big Mac. We got to be able to look for that. Um, McDonald's isn't even called McDonald's in Australia. It's called Maccas, M-A-C-C-A-S. So we have to look for Australians who are referring to it differently. Um, all sorts of things. I mean, there were thousands of words that we were listening for um, just that were our own products and stuff. Then you may want to be listening to competitive stuff as well. And so you right. need something that's robust enough that you can set all that up that'll help you filter out spam, that'll help you filter out um, you know, hate mail, anything that's got yeah. racist or sexist or swearing comments or whatever. You just don't even, you don't sure. have to respond to those or even read those. Um, so I, there's a lot out there in terms of that. There's... Uh, I, I think responding, uh, usually that is going to be a platform that already has some place in the contact center, right? And so one of the key things that I learned is that the part that the customer service people are going to use, which is the responding piece, you got to bring them in to help make that decision. Don't let the marketers make that decision for customer service or you're going you're gonna to end up forcing a tool down someone's throat that they don't want to use. And I think a lot of the tools right now, what they're doing really well is they're starting to merge almost all digital channels together. So it doesn't matter whether someone's on Facebook or Twitter or email or chat or, you know, any of those, they can all go through the same system. And what, and even to the point where if you start to break down things like messaging platforms, 
besides from SMS, you've got uh, Twitter DM, you've got Facebook Messenger, you've got WeChat and all these. And it gets to the point where the agent doesn't even need to know what platform the customer is on. Who cares that they're on WeChat? It's a chat, right? It's a, it's a, just a back and forth. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing as if it were on Twitter DM. And so the better platforms help to basically cultivate all that for an agent so that the agent just sees a customer asking a question and they need to answer. It doesn't really matter where it's all coming from. And I think that's uh, one of the key things to look for. Okay, perfect. Um, I think one of the, you know, like a nirvana when I talk to CPG colleagues is this, this notion of having on the reporting end, blending all the, you know, the sexy digital channels that you just mentioned, including traditional telephone. You know, how do you pull all that data in, make sure it gets, you know, well, the telephone data is going to be pulled into the CRM data anyway, but how do you get all that together to have one one view of the brands or the business and wondering, does that tool exist or is it in the works? What you need first is you need a uh, voice to text conversion. Basically you need mm -hmm. a, a, you need software that will take recordings of your calls and turn them into text. Yeah. And then you need a text analytics tool that basically will do the same thing for a, a conversation, a telephone conversation transcribed as it'll do for a Facebook post and a response, right? Because now it's all text and it can be analyzed in a similar way. Yeah. Uh, and that is important. And I think what you'll find is that there are certain issues that, you know, when the website goes down, well, you're going to hear about that across every channel, right? But then there are certain things that you may only hear in one channel or another. And we talked about one of them before, compliments, right? You're almost only going to hear those in social media. You're not going to hear them in other channels. Uh, nobody sits and waits for a chat agent, uh, you know, on the website, you know, you're number four in the queue and waits that long just to tell a company, hey, I love you. You're doing an awesome job. I think that uh, converting, certainly taking the telephone transcripts and comparing them to what you're hearing in other channels is is definitely important. And as for the CRM, you know, obviously you need to be all of these channels needs to feed into the CRM so that no matter where I ask for that hypoallergenic pillow from a hotel, doesn't matter what channel I use, telephone, email, chat, social media, mm -hmm. snail mail, whatever. The next time I show up at a hotel in person, that pillow has got to be there. So let me ask you, how would you say is the best way to, you know, ensure that the website is set up to support the customer? Well, it's a great question, and it starts with the fact that as we design digital experiences, we have to go about it the right way to take consumer input into consideration. So when I spent a long time at uh, Discover heading up digital customer experience for three of those 10 years that I was there, right. we spent a lot of time in front of customers as we created new experiences on the website. Everything was run through usability testing, which is basically where you create a, a minimum viable product and you share it with actual customers. You have them go and play with it on their laptops and you watch them do it. And it's just like, almost like a focus group of one. But what's fascinating is you tell somebody, for example, hey, we want you to go try to redeem your rewards 
and that's all you say. And then what they're supposed to do is not only are they supposed to go and do it and you can see on the screen what they're doing, they're supposed right. to talk you through it. So they say, oh, well, if I wanted to redeem my rewards, I think I would go up here in the menu here where it says rewards. Oh, wait, that's about earning rewards, not redeeming rewards. So let me see, maybe I should go over here. And you start to learn just by hearing them where they're getting confused and where things are really clear for them. Because the problem is what's clear for your developers and your programmers is not necessarily clear for your customer. Mm. And if you don't talk to them along the way, you find out too late that you've done something that isn't clear. Um, when after you launch something on your website or mobile app, it's really about keeping your customer service team informed of all of the new features and functionality because people will call and ask questions about it and you want to make sure that your agents are are uh, empowered to answer the question and, and are knowledgeable enough to answer the questions. Um, and one of the things I did a lot of that, that really kind of helped me with that connection to the customer service team is we would track everything that we did on the website that would remove calls. So maybe lots of people are calling and saying, I can't find my rewards on the website. Well, if I fix that, I've now just saved my customer service team X number of hundreds of calls, right? Which is a cost savings, which is good for everybody. And so measuring success together is also a really good way to keep those two teams aligned. Yeah. So let's, let's, for this question, let's just assume that was kind of what I've been hearing is going on. And let's say you've got the digital team and the consumer relations are, you know, separate. It's consumer relations, you know, it started out quality and legal. They were reporting up through there. And then over time, um, it looks like that department's been reporting more to market research and marketing. So I'm even lucky enough to report to, to digital teams. So my question is, if you need to work together and collaborate with these groups, what are some of the natural connection points that you see between those two groups? Well, first of all, I would say one thing, I am starting to see both digital and consumer relations in some companies start to fall under the chief marketing officer, which brings them closer together, which I think is a good thing, right? So even though they might be they might have different roles, the closer they are together in literal and physical proximity, the more likely you're going to have that transfer of information that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I always found that, you know, when I was building new functionality on the website, not only were we doing usability testing, but we were sharing everything with customer service. Hey, this is coming in eight weeks. Hey, this is coming in four weeks. Hey, this is coming next week. And then when, you know, two weeks out or whatever it is, we would train agents. We'd go, I'd go to the call center myself sometimes and I would teach agents about, hey, there's this new piece of functionality. Here's how you use it. Here's mm -hmm. the benefits of it. Here's the questions you're likely to get. We've put together an FAQ for you um, or you mentioned a knowledge base of this particular piece of functionality. If you have any questions, here's the people you can call internally. Sometimes we even set up a chat group for the first week so that if agents are live on a call and they have a challenge, they might be able to put it in the chat and, and you know, me over in marketing or in digital could answer it and help them with that answer. So it's about being communicative the entire way. And interestingly, I would say that's a two-way communication street because 
Also, if I'm on the digital team, I want to hear back from customer service. What are people saying? Where are they having problems? Why are they calling you? If they're calling you, that is generally not a good thing, right? That means they're having some sort of an issue. Help me understand what are the what are the recurring themes because I just launched this thing, but I want to it's I'm going to keep making it better. I'm going to keep iterating on it and and so let me know what I need to work on next. I think when you start to when you establish trust between the two groups, you have that flow of information going in both directions, and it just becomes a natural thing. It's part of any product launch or any digital launch that you got to bring your customer service colleagues in as well. They're part of the launch because they're the ones that are going to be on the front line answering questions when stuff goes wrong. Right. And I agree with you. And that is in a perfect world, I'm going to work with people like you. And you're going to make sure you and your team are going to proactively reach out. And it's, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It's just that everyone is just very, very busy doing their thing. That sometimes, frankly, even today, consumer relations in CPG industry. So I'm speaking from that experience. We're the last to know in certain situations, not all the time. So I totally hear how the communication and building trust And I really wanted to get very, I do want to get like really down in the weeds here that consumer relations can do to foster that nirvana situation where, like you were just mentioning. So the irony is, as a customer experience professional, I know that one of the things that aggravates customers the most is when they call customer service and the agent can't answer their question, doesn't know the answer to their question, has to transfer them to another department or go ask somebody else and I get put on hold. That's frustrating. We expect a customer service agent to be able to answer our question. And so interestingly, your digital folks who are generally going to be customer experience thinkers, because you have to be in digital today, I think one of the things is remind them that if we don't do this, we are setting our customer service agents up to fail, which means we're setting our customers up to fail. So we're giving the customers the thing they hate the most, which is an unknowledgeable agent. We're also really making things tough for our agents because how horrible must it be to answer the phone and get asked a question and you're like, I didn't even know we had this functionality, right? I mean, the, we train our agents to, to be knowledgeable about almost everything in the business. They have to be because of all the, the questions they might have to answer. So then they get one and, they're compl- and they have no idea. That's going to be really frustrating to them. And I can sort of almost hear in your question, I can hear you've been there before, right? You can <laughs> you feel that frustration. And so now you got a frustrated customer and a frustrated agent. You would never launch, I know you're in the CPG business, you would never launch without telling the customer service team or or the consumer relations team or the PR team or basically everybody, because ultimately different people, investor relations, all of them, right? They're all going to field questions at some point about this new candy bar. And so they have to be knowledgeable to answer those questions. So part of launching a product and a product could be a candy bar, but it also could be a new web page, right? I mean, that's a, that's a product too. And so part of launching the process of launching a product has got to be communication with all parts of the organization that might handle consumer inquiries. All of those groups equally need to be just as aware that we got a new candy bar coming out and here's the details of it and here's the FAQs and all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, you're going to end up dropping the ball in more than one place. Right. 
you're preaching to the choir, Dan. But yes, the reason there was some pain in my voice is because like, when I hear that an agent gets a question about, you know, a promotion maybe uh, that's out there on uh, in social and they didn't know about it, I like my heart just drops. It doesn't happen often. right? And so I think it's about getting everybody to feel, hey, mm-hmm. I know customer experience is not in my job description. It doesn't say it anywhere. But this is part of my job, too. Because I'm in charge of this campaign or I'm in charge of this product launch and it is going to affect customers. Right. Brilliant. And to quote you, I think um, everyone does need to be thinking that way because, you know, we're evolving to the differentiator and the way we're going to compete with each other, to quote you and your gas station example you know, you can't always compete on price and you're going to have to look to other ways. And one of them is embracing customer experience. So I'm I'm totally with you on that one. I think that's a good segue too into what's going on now with you. You are anxiously probably awaiting the publication of your latest book, which is called, again, The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences that Your Customers Can't Wait to Share. The whole thing is so exciting, really, to me. What, well, thank what, you. I'm excited, too. Yeah, I'm excited for you, because um, I know a lot of blood, sweat, and tears has to, has to go into a book. What prompted you to write this book? If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Veneri. Thank you for your time.